How great. So good, so good. And I'm so excited about uh, you men down at the Ramsey Unit being a part of our church family. Uh, many of you know from my own story, uh, my, my stepfather uh, was an officer in a federal prison, and we lived on a prison farm growing up uh, in Fort Worth. And um, so I understand that um, this is a difficult, difficult situation uh, for, for so many people and their families that are incarcerated. So we just want to say we're here for you. We're glad to be down there giving you hope that, that God would minister to you in a big way. We also want to welcome all those watching online. There's people all over the world watching us online, and as well as my mom, who watches us from the cool mountains of Maryland, and then, um, and then West End, as well as Missouri City. And uh, we've we got a growing number. People are back to school. Everybody's a little cranky. I know school hadn't started for everybody, like in Houston. It starts on, I think, of the 22nd. But uh, uh, school has started, I think, in Fort Bend County. And you can tell the parents are on edge. I mean, it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands now that I'm not taking care of a crisis every moment. You know, that kind of deal. You'll get used to it. It's great. Somebody said to me, what's it like for school to start with an empty nester? I said, you know, there's no change. I go to the Astros game, and we go do whatever we want whenever we want. It's just an awesome deal. You'll get there. It'll be fine. So anyway... So, hey, we're in the study of Ruth, and um, it's a great study. This is a great book. I hope you're studying it on your own and really dissecting it, reading it, uh, com- you know, reading commentators, see if I'm telling you the truth or not. It's a unique story because in the Old Testament, it's a written from a woman's point of view. So let me give you a little recap of where we were last week. If you didn't, it kind of builds. The story is kind of a narrative, so it kind of builds. Let me give you a little bit of a recap, but you can watch the sermon from last week on YouTube. But basically, an Israelite, a Jewish man named Elimelech, was living in Bethlehem with his wife, Naomi, and they had two sons, and there was a famine. And that was very unusual for Bethlehem. And so Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes, and he moved his family. It seems reasonable, but you should never move. Here's the principle. You should never move out to where, from where God's led you until God leads you someplace else. And God didn't lead him, but he went to Moab. And there in Moab, he thought the grass was going to be greener and everything's going to be better, right? We've all had these predictions. And his two sons married two Moabite women, right? There wasn't, there wasn't any Israelites there, so they married two Moabite women. Well, then all the men died. We don't know what happened, right? Uh, Elimelech dies first, and a few years later, the two sons died. And so what we found was that these three women, two daughters-in-law and Naomi, were together in a foreign land for Naomi, and they were very vulnerable. In that culture 3,000 years ago, women unprotected by a husband had a very difficult time getting through life. They couldn't eat. They couldn't work. They couldn't do anything. They had no rights in the culture and the society. And it was very, very vulnerable. They were very vulnerable indeed. So are y'all still listening? I just got bored myself and I'm telling the story. It's like, (laughs) this is important though. Okay. I just kind of almost dozed off there. It's like, okay. So then Naomi says, I got to go back to Jerusalem. I got to go back to Bethlehem. I got to go back to Israel. This is where God led us. So, but she told her two Moabite daughters-in-law to stay because there was nothing for them in Israel. Well, or- Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, decided to stay. It was a wise thing for her to do. But Ruth decided to go with her, daughter-in-law, with her mother-in-law. 
an amazing thing, an amazing thing. And here's what she said. This is the big speech from chapter one. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you anymore because uh, Naomi was just telling, please do not go with me. This is really better for you to stay in Moab. She said, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. And your people will be my people. And then this big thing, your God is going to be my God. That was really the transitional moment in her life that she recognized the God of the Moabite, a guy named Kamish, right? This is the God. That, that, that was no truth. There was no substance. But through, through years of living with Naomi and these Israelites, they, she found out that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was the true, one true God. And she said, she basically converted. She said, your God will be my God. And then she goes on to say, where you die, I will die. And I'll be there and I'll be buried there. In other words, I'm not coming back to Moab. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates from me from you. And so Naomi and Ruth, they go back to Bethlehem. They go back and they try to make a plan. They had no other plan other than the fact that we need to go back to Bethlehem. We need to go back to God's promised land. We need to go back to my people. We need to go back to where we can maybe find some comfort. And they made the long journey from Moab all the way back to Bethlehem. And there they didn't really have have a plan. They were just trying to survive. They didn't know how they were going to make it. Have you ever been there? They just went. Like, we don't know what's going to happen there. So Ruth had this idea. They got there. They got, they got some sort of shelter, and they got hungry. So Ruth in chapter 2 says this. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. Now, in this narrative, the author here makes sure that we don't forget that Ruth was a foreigner. She was a Moabite, right? So Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I might find favor. In other words, there was this Levitical law in the book of Leviticus. God kind of created a welfare system. And the welfare was that if you, have, if you were a farmer and harvested grain, the corners of your field would go unharvest, and the people of the community that could not harvest, didn't have land, couldn't make their own food, would come in to the fields, and they would harvest those unharvest corners of your property. And so that was her plan. And the picture here is that... Naomi and Ruth are very down and out. They're very vulnerable. They're destitute. Have you, I don't know if you've ever been this way. But they, they were like, li, talk about living hand to mouth. They had, literally had to use, Ruth had to use her hands to go get some food, some grain, in order for them to eat. I mean, this is just a desperate situation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but it's a hopeless situation for Naomi. If you remember from last week, Naomi was a bitter, bitter lady. She thought God had turned her back on her. She said, God's turned her back. God's not helping me. I'm a bitter woman. In fact, she used that as a way to say to Ruth and to Orpah, don't come back with me because God's even against me. I mean, she was really having a pity party. And so Naomi finally starts seeing some glimmer of hope. Ruth goes out. Look what happens next. Naomi said to her, well, go ahead, daughter. So she went out and she entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. So she was picking food, right? Grain. And then this phrase, I love this phrase. 
Let's say this phrase together. It's highlighted. Come on. West End, Missouri City, online. Everybody, it's highlighted for you. Here we go. Ready? As it turned out. I love that phrase. As it turned out, she happened to be in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, Boaz, well, first of all, Boaz was a relative of Elimelech, but Boaz is a really fun thing to say. You should have a dog named Boaz, right? In fact, let's all say Boaz together. Ready? One, two, three. Boaz. Sounds like you're saying a cuss word, doesn't it? It's like, uh, Boaz. Get your Boaz over here. You know, that kind of deal. Please don't email me. You know, that's it. Get your Boaz over here. That's the deal. Yeah, so Boaz turns out to be the hero of the story. And we'll come back to Boaz in just a minute. But I want to focus on this phrase. This phrase is, as it turned out. As it turned out, as it turned out. You see, Naomi felt like God had turned his back on her and wasn't working for her benefit. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I've felt like that way. And you start kind of replaying in your mind all the things you've done wrong. This is me, it's probably not you. But you start playing back all the things you've done wrong and you start create, trying to create this sort of a, uh, cause and effect system with God that if I was better or if I had been good or if I never left Israel, if I had never come here, then God would not be punished. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but you know, it's like you start replaying in your mind why you're having such a difficult time because you don't feel like you deserve it. And then you start playing back in your mind. Oh, of course. Yeah. Back in eighth grade, I stole that Reese's from the drugstore. Should have never done that. God's finally getting me for that. You know, all your sins will find you out and you start going, oh my goodness, all this stuff. And that's kind of what was going on with Naomi. And she was like, okay, God's turning. But then as it turned out, God was at work the whole time. You know, God was working the whole time. It's like, it's like what Paul said in Romans. This is a famous passage in Romans. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, that God's at work. Listen, here's the thing you should hear but, and know, but probably don't believe. In your trouble, you certainly don't believe it. God's at work behind the scenes right now putting together the solution and ministering to you and the problem. And all we want is the destination. We want the results. We want the job or we want the marriage to heal or we want the kids or we want health. Or we, something, something's going on here and we wonder if God's at work. And I just want you to know God is at work. You just can't see everything he's doing. And as it turned out, Something amazing happened. Now, I don't know if you believe in coincidence, but I do not. Or luck. I don't create that. I think God controls, is in charge, and is aware of everything. And as it turned out, God did an amazing thing. So has that ever, has that ever happened to you in your life? I mean, have you ever just like going, what are the chances of this? Let me tell you a couple stories. One is... When, when Lisa and I, 25 years ago, were thinking about moving here, we had four small children and no money, and uh, we were wondering, we were wondering whether this is really what God, God was doing, and we didn't know. Well, years earlier, listen, years earlier, I was at a church here in Houston before we moved to Georgia, and um, a couple had come up to me, Tim and uh, Angela Leverage, I'll never forget them, and they, I was their Sunday school teacher. And they said, will you pray for us? They were a young, very young couple, and we're thinking about buying a house in Fort Bend County. 
And um, I said, well, sure, I'll pray for you. So I, pray, I prayed for him. Lord, give him wisdom. Don't let him get overextended, that kind of thing. You know, all the spiritual cliche things you say, okay? You know, so, uh, I didn't know how to pray. <laughs> God, don't let, him, don't let him screw this up, basically. Okay. <laughs> we ended up buying the house. And really shortly after that, we moved to Atlanta. And I took a job there. And then years go by in Atlanta, a couple, almost three years go by. And we were thinking about coming back to Houston to start this church. And so we were just wondering, and I was, I was um, you know, we decided we were going to come, but I was so scared. I was so scared because I had uh, four small children and no money and we're doing, but we thought back then you could buy a house without a job. It was an amazing time. And um, <laughs> so we said, well, let's buy a house. Let's get a house. Let's look, look at a house. So we called a real estate agent friend of ours here and they, she started showing us house. This is before we uh, you know, before we moved, obviously, we wanted to put a contract on a house. And she found a house that was in our, you know, that we felt like we could afford if we ever got work. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, she made an appointment for us to see the house. So we go up to the house, knock on the door to go see the house. It's on the Adobe Trails. And I knock on the door, and Tim Leverage opens the door. I said, Tim. You and Angela live here? Yeah, we're moving to Atlanta. We're selling our house. <laughs> I said, do you remember me praying for this? She said, I sure do. As it turned out, <laughs> God provided. And we bought 6503 Adobe Trails. I mean, it was just like an amazing thing. So then we go back to Georgia and we got to move. And I, again, have I mentioned the fact we had no money? We had four small children, you know, that kind of deal. So we had to move, and we didn't know how to move. And I knew one guy uh, from my old church here in Houston who owned a van line, McClatchy Van Lines, a guy named Nolan Jackson. I'll never forget him. So Nolan, so, I, so this is a Monday. We're supposed to move on a Friday. So we were going to get U-Hauls, which we couldn't afford, and, um, you know, drive from 800 miles from Atlanta. So I just said, well, I'm going to call Nolan Jackson to see if he has a truck in Atlanta that's empty that's going back to Houston. What are the chances of that? So I called him, Nolan, what's the deal? Hey, listen, I'm moving back to Houston and I, I got four small kids and no money. Have I mentioned that? And, um, and we need to move. And uh, I was just wondering what would be the chances of you having an empty truck in Atlanta that could take our stuff in our car back to Houston? He said, let me call you back. So he calls me back. He goes, as it turns out, <laughs> I got an empty truck in Birmingham about an hour and a half from you. If you'll pay the gas from Birmingham to Atlanta, I'll move all your stuff for free. As it turned out. <laughs> and so it's those as it turned out moments that you're reminded the whole time that you thought God was asleep or God wasn't at work, that actually God is at work. He's always at work. He's working right now on your problem and my problem. I promise you he is. I don't see it. And listen, you don't even have to believe it. You don't have to believe it. You just all of a sudden, as it turned out, I ended up in Boaz's field. What are the chances? Who knew? Who knew? God is at work. Listen, 
God's a good father and he loves you and he's at work. He understands your problems. I'm telling you, he's at work. Is he gonna solve them all right now? No, probably not. You know why? Because there's something powerful in the journey and trusting him and seeing him so you'll appreciate and grow closer to him. The number one thing God wants from us is intimacy. The number one thing we want from God is provision. And there's a clash there somewhere. And God's going, no, 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 no. If you'll go on this journey with me, I'll show you. I'm at work. I'm at work. So Boaz takes notice of Ruth and asks the overseer of the field, who is this lady? And here's what the overseer said. The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, and, and Ruth said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvester. So you can see the humility in the destitute place that she was in. And she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the, in, in the shelter. And so what, what we learn about Naomi is she worked hard. Like, I don't, know, I don't know how you trust God. You know, how do I, I'm just trusting God. A lot of people use that as an excuse to be passive. But Naomi got up every morning and she showed up before daybreak and she began to harvest and she took a break from time to time in the shelter from the heat of the sun. But she worked till night and she was there day in and day out. That's how you're supposed to be waiting on the God, by the way, by showing up. Well, I don't know what to do. Listen, a friend of mine told me this, and I've told you this before, and I'm telling you this is great advice. When in doubt, attack. Well, I don't know what to do. Just show up. Just get out there. Just go. Attack. Don't be passive. Pray as you're running toward what you hope would be an answer. And so this is the hardest part, is that Ruth had to show up. She had to show up, and you have to show up. That's the hardest part in life, by the way, is showing up. God will take care of the rest if you'll just keep showing up. And I know it doesn't look good, and I know it's not been great, and I know it's difficult, and it's difficult again, and it's difficult again, and it's difficult again, and now, tomorrow, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be difficult. So showing up, it's a beat down. It can be a total beat down. And you just got to show up because it's in the showing up that something moves. God always works in his children's lives as they are walking or moving or going. Listen, I don't know what your theology is, but I just don't see in the Bible, and I've read it a lot, I don't see in the Bible where God just opens up everything so you can get up off your easy chair and walk through an unencumbered path. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. It is a fight, but God says he'll never leave you or forsake you, and he is with you, and he wants you to walk that path, and he wants you to fight that fight. So at the end of the battle, you'll say, God came through. God did a work. God did something amazing. This was incredible. I never want to do that again, but thank God we're here now. So showing up is absolutely the key. And some of us are absolutely paralyzed by our problems. And we're trying to get God to give us an answer. The answer is in the street. So get out there and find it. It's hard. It is so hard. But Boaz, who's the hero of this story, turns to Ruth and says this, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean 
from another field and don't go away from here. Why did Boaz take such interest? Stay here with me. Sorry, sorry. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, right? And follow along after them. And I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. This was huge. This was huge. Protection. And whenever you are uh, thirsty, this is another big thing, which we don't appreciate. You go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. So Boaz steps in and he provides a way that allows her to feel safe and secure. And, she, and there's more and more to that story where, where Boaz tells his men to drop a bunch of grain on purpose so that they could pick, so they could pick it up. And, and, and all of a sudden, this, this amazing stuff happens. Go get a drink of water when you need a drink of water. Don't go to other fields. There's going to be plenty of grain for you here. I've told my men not to touch you, which was a big deal. And all of a sudden things begin to turn. Now, we don't know what kind of time frame, how long, how many days she was going to the field. We don't know how all that worked out, but we know that God began to use Boaz in Ruth's life to provide something. And so what you need to hear is this, God does provide. It's not on time. He's always late. I get it. But God does provide. And sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. And you just got to get up in the morning and say, I know, God, you're going to provide for me. Without fully believing that. Just say, God, I know you're going to provide for me. I know you're good. And all of a sudden, you start standing on the truth. And it changes your thinking. It changes your perspective. Remember Naomi? She believed everybody was against her, even God. And now all of a sudden, when Ruth begins to bring home this grain in an unbelievable portion she begins to see that God was at work the whole time. Look at what it says here in, in chapter two. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and she threshed the barley that she had gathered and it amounted to about an epeth, which is about five gallons of grain, right? She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw, finally there was a physical manifestation of God's spiritual miracle, the work of God. And she saw something that could not be explained by human behavior. She saw how much. It was just an amazing amount of grain. And she knew that a, a woman, Ruth, could not go into the fields and pick enough to bring home this much. That some miracle, something had to happen, right? So Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over. There's a story in there that I missed over that uh, there was basically a sandwich given. And Ruth didn't need it all so she could bring some home to Naomi. She had, get, uh, she had leftover sandwich after she had eaten enough, right? And then it goes on to say, her mother-in-law asked her, what in the world has happened? Where did you glean today? This is amazing. And here's the thing, here's the warning for me. The warning for me is when something amazing happens, don't explain it away as coincidence or being lucky that God's at work. Attribute this to God's miraculous hand. Say, God has done an amazing thing. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today, she said, was Boaz, she said. And then it clicked for her. Naomi all of a sudden saw something amazing. The Lord bless Boaz, she says. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She added, this man is our 
close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And there's this phrase. So I just want to, I just want to kind of end this piece of the story today, trying to encourage us all to know that God's at work. My job is to show up, understanding that God provides. That, as it turns out, is an indication that God's working for you. And here's the thing. You have to, when you're following God, there's this blank space of information. I know we like to Google everything, and we like to know all the information. We like to hedge our bets. We like to minimize our risk. So we like to know what we're going. And oftentimes, this is just me. Oftentimes, I want as much information so I can know I can move forward without making a mistake. And I attribute that to trying to discern God's will. And I say stuff like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so I'm just going to wait here until all the information's in, then I can make an educated decision. And I just want to tell you, just in case with Naomi and Ruth, God will not disclose everything to you. Because in that blank space where you don't know what's going to happen, that risk, that's where faith jumps in. And risk and faith go hand in hand. And so you get yourself, and this is what God does because he's loving, but he's an adventurer, right? So he's saying to us, come on, come on, I'm going to lead you and guide you. And he gets you to a place where if God doesn't come through for you, you're sunk. And I like a plan B. Like, well, if God doesn't come for me, we can always do this or do that or God's going, no, no, come follow me. I'm not saying take stupid risk. We do that on our own. I get that. I'm just saying when you're really searching out God's direction for your life, what to do, he's not going to tell you everything. Typically what he says is the next thing. That's all you're going to get is the next thing, the next step. That's all you're going to get. And you take that step, and now you're in motion, and then he's going to tell you the next step. The next step. And before you know it, you're in Boaz's field, and you're eating real good. But you couldn't see that from where you were. I don't know why God didn't do that. I think it's because we wouldn't follow him. Like if, we, like if he were to tell Ruth and Naomi back in Moab, hey, listen, ladies, here's what's going to happen. You're going to not believe this. I'm going to lead you back to Bethlehem, and you're going to end up in a field by happenstance. It's going to be luck, right? And then Boaz is going to take a liking to Ruth, and he's going to give you all the food you need, so you don't have to worry about anything. So the next three years are totally taken care of. Just come on, follow me. I think they would have said, right. So he didn't. He just said, come on, I'll get your next step, move to Bethlehem. Your next step, go to the field. Your next step... Be noticed by Boaz. Next step, work hard. And all of a sudden, something amazing happens. Boaz is pictured here as the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz did something for Ruth and Naomi that they couldn't do for themselves. They took him in a very vulnerable place, and he provided for him. And it's a picture, this whole story in this idea is that Boaz is a picture of Jesus. It's, It's sort of a metaphor of Jesus, that you and I are vulnerable and destitute spiritually. Although physically, we, uh, we went to H-E-B and we got plenty of groceries. I get it. But spiritually, there's nothing we can do to take care of ourselves, and we need a redeemer. We need something outside of ourselves to save us. 
Now, most of us don't define ourselves that way because we feel like we're doing pretty good compared to everybody else. But the way God sees us is destitute and poor, spiritually bankrupt, if you will. And he has sent the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could have life. We could have forgiveness. And he's provided for us something that we could never have provided for ourselves. Grace and mercy. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he allowed us to experience this forgiveness that's not based on our behavior. It's based on believing that God provided for us something we couldn't have provided for ourselves. So many people have the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian. It's like sort of rules and regulations and being good or bad. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with recognizing how bankrupt you are and clinging to God and understanding that Jesus is our redeemer and he died for us. And Boaz shows us the grace and Boaz shows us the initiative of God because God took the initiative to hunt us down and to provide for us a way of forgiveness. So I don't know what you're going through today. I'm telling you, Ruth and Naomi, they they encourage me. I'm more like Naomi than Ruth. I tend to get paralyzed by my problems. And uh, Naomi was bitter. I tend to get bitter. But all of a sudden, what we see is God breaking through that because Ruth showed up. So whatever you're going through today, I don't have an easy answer for you. But I know God's at work. And I know he provides And I know you should show up. And I don't even know what that means. So good luck with all that. (laughs) And see if God won't do something where you say, you're not going to believe this. As it turns out, God did something amazing. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and the fact that this is life. This is our life. The fact that we are in need and can't provide for ourselves, and oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we are absolutely dependent on you and others to make life work for us. And so I pray, oh God, that we would learn the lesson of the fact that you're always at work and you care about us and you want to make, make sure that we're cared for, but it's not an immediate thing. And that our job is to show up, show up with you and just show up in life. And that we'll see those moments where, as it turns out, something amazing happens. We'll attribute those to you. We we won't say how lucky that was or how fortunate or what a coincidence. But we'll understand that was your hand. We pray, oh God. I know there are people here in Missouri City and West End and online that are hurting so desperately bad. And they're wondering whether you're even involved in their life or you care about their problems. And I just pray you'd whisper into their souls today that you do care. And I pray, oh God, that we would look to Boaz as we look to Jesus and say, we need a redeemer. And we're bankrupt and can't save ourselves. So we look to you, oh God, for that redemption. Thank you for grace and mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.